Hello, this is Joseph Carlson, and this is episode 92 of Gaming with Grief, and I'm calling this episode Side Questin'. Uh, and you'll see why in a bit, but let me do the intro. Uh, this podcast will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, uh, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there, leave a comment, let me know what you think of the show, uh, how I can improve it, stuff like that. Or you can go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast there. It's the Gaming with Groove podcast with Joseph Carlson. It's got a black background with smoke. Uh, give me some stars, some likes. Again, let me know what you think of the show, what I can do to improve it. Or you can go to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com and go there, uh, drop me a line, uh, you know, let me know what you think of the show, what I can do to improve it, same thing. Uh, or just, you know, if you want to ask a question, do that there. Uh, if you want to just write me something and you don't want me to read it over the, the show, you know, or the air, I won't. Um, or you can find me uh, at uh, on Twitter, at Just Little Joe. So go there. Uh, I will try to do a better job of promoting the podcast on there. But um, yeah, so I'm calling uh, this episode side questing because I'm actually doubling back and trying to complete something I did a long time ago. Uh, so way, way back at episode 15, uh, it was called the reading episode uh, because obviously at that time I was really clever uh, and I thought of the most clever title I could. No, I was just I was reading a comic called Revival, um, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately. It is about well, I, I it's something that I wanted to finish that I didn't finish. Uh, that I can see from what I've downloaded from Comicsology, there's eight volumes that they've collected the different issues. That my research said it was about forty five issues that I could find that were originally published. And they put them in volumized versions, so there's four or five issues uh, per volume. Uh, I'm just going to review each volume individually and spoil the heck out of each volume. So you now have your spoiler warning. You know that I'm going to spoil the episode. But this is uh, my review, and I'm finally going to double back and talk about what I think of the whole thing when I'm done with it. I'm rereading a lot of these. Uh, it's been a long time. Um I'm just trying to get in the habit of, again, finishing something I started. And also, you know, I, I have been thinking about these books a lot. It does have to do with grief uh, and death. And um, it's kind of stuck with me the past couple of days. I don't know if my mood has been that way. But, um, yeah, I've just been thinking about it a little bit. So um, the first volume that I can find was published by Image Comics. And the volume, at least, the collected works of the issues uh, came out on December 12th. Uh, 2012 and the first volume was called Year Among Friends um, and it takes place in Wausau, Wisconsin which I hope I'm saying that right uh, on January 2nd and uh, before I get really into the general plot let me just talk about there's a foreword that I'm going to read you uh, that another writer wrote um, Jeff, Le Jeff Lemire who has written he's a Canadian artist comic artist and writer He's the author of Ex, Ex, uh, Ex, uh, Exis County, Essex County Trilogy, Sweet Tooth, and DC's Animal Men. So that's what he's written. Essex County Trilogy, uh, Sweet Tooth, and DC's Animal Men. So he wrote a foreword for this comic revival. Um, and I, I, I really, I'm just going to read you the foreword of this because I think it's, it's really powerful. He said, what's so brilliant about revival isn't that Seeley, who's the author, and Norton, 
who's the artist. Um, yeah. Um, so let me start again. So what's brilliant about Revival? Isn't it Seeley and Norton explore the concept of the dead returning to walk the earth? We all know that's been done to death. And he, he put in parentheses, sorry, uh, in countless comics, films, etc. No. What's brilliant about Seeley's approach is that these loved ones return not as flesh-eating zombies or mummified B-movie ghouls, but rather just as we remember them. And that's what's that's when things really get interesting. Tim lets us watch as his beautifully flawed and compelling cast of small town characters struggle to cope with what comes next. How do we find a place in our lives again for someone we have already grieved for and whose loss we have already struggled to accept? It's equally chilling and fascinating stuff. And Tim's script scripts are pitch perfect. His character is beautifully flawed and compelling. And he does go on to um, praise the artist. Apparently the artist is very well known in um, like he called it spandex stuff. So superhero stuff. But I think that's one of the reasons why I kept thinking about this comic was the forward. And also there's a scene very early on. uh, Basically what happens is people that die on January 1st start coming back to life on January 2nd. And um, it's, it's obviously a big shock. But it only happens in this small town of Wasso, Wisconsin, which, again, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Um, and so, obviously, the authorities lock the town down because they think it could be an infection, like a zombie plague. They don't want people um, getting hurt or whatever, and they don't allow people out. But what, prob- what happens is the news in town is reporting about what's happening, so word is getting out. So people are also trying to get in the town to experience what's going on. Some people are making religious pilgrimages there because they believe the revivers or the revived are spiritual. Obviously this opens up debate on the radio, whether these things are, you know, if it's a spiritual thing that's happening, if it's scientific. And, um, I'm just going to read you a passage early on. Um, the main character, uh, Dana Cypress, uh, she's like, a police officer in the small town. Her father is the sheriff. Uh, her sister, M, uh, she meets M on the road when she's on the way to this case of a reviver that something's not quite right. She picks up M because it's winter, and she, you know she sees that her sister's on the side of the road, picks her up, and they go to this, uh, excuse me, they go to this farmhouse where there's an altercation between a family. Uh, the family is mad at their neighbor. Uh, there's something called... Uh, uh, they call it like a, a horsera or a zebra. It's basically a zebra and a horse hybrid that is, I don't know. These are horse breeders. They breeded this thing. They said they sell it. Long story short, there's an altercation between the neighbors. Dana goes to investigate. She brings her sister. It, it turns out that one of the women that is uh, in the barn when they go to investigate is a returned, is uh, an older woman in her 80s. She died of a heart attack on the first she, of course, comes back to life on the second. Um, and there's this amazing kind of thing that stuck with me just for the imagery. It's it's uh, beautifully animated, but also the idea that um, this woman, uh, you know, Dana comes into the, the uh, barn, starts talking to this woman. What's going on, ma'am? Uh, the woman has basically been pulling her teeth out. Because her teeth keep growing back. And um, she is uh, bereaved because she wants to wear her dentures. And it just freaks her out. She starts reading Bible passages. 
and saying, you know, I wanted to be in the Lord's embrace. Um, I'll just read the whole thing. So they come upon the woman in the barn, uh, and she starts reading the Bible, and she says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Then shall come to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Uh, that's in the Bible, and so funny how the Lord always manages to leave us messages before we need them. And this is while she's ripping her teeth out and her back is turned to the detective. Uh, and she says, I don't, I never liked that horse. That's why I killed it. And, um, you know, something's wrong. She said that horse is an abomination just like I am. Uh, and she said, basically, um, the Lord wouldn't take me. He made me stay here in purgatory. And there's much more that comes out in the first volume. We come to find out that M, uh, Dana's sister, is also returned. Uh, she was murdered on the 1st of January, so she comes back to life. And uh, Dana says, basically, I'll figure out who killed you. And M's thing is, oh, I was bludgeoned to death, so everything's a little hazy. Um, there is, obviously, uh, occult-worshipping people, uh but it also it it just it doesn't it isn't too heavy handed. But what it does is it start it starts bringing up this idea of, you know, what would you do if the people around you uh, woke up, uh, and and how would you deal with, um, you know, how would you deal with them getting another chance? Uh, it's been talked about a lot in movies, and a lot of uh, you know just in general. And um, I actually have thought about it a lot. What would happen if the people that I cared about so much and that had passed, had come back. And I think that I, one, I wouldn't believe it because <laughs> our world is built around kind of not believing things. Um, but it is also, you know, how much more time would you have with them? And, you know, in the back of your head, wouldn't you be thinking, well, this is all just going to go away again? I mean, that would be really, I mean, how would you how would you come to grips with that? I mean, to me, that just seems strange. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been thinking about it. Not that I want all my you know, the things that I've lost to come back, but I started, I don't know, just logistically thinking about, you know, how do you contextualize death? Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts um, and people have been very honest. Uh, Mark Marin, he lost his, uh, he was dating a woman who collapsed in his home, Lynn, Lynn Sheldon. She's, she was an amazing director um, and she collapsed in his home and passed away uh, while they were quarantining together. Uh, and I think it was last year, like in May, I want to say. So it's, it's been about six months, and you know he talks about it on the show. He's very open about it. You know the fact that um, he doesn't. He can understand. There's there's a part of him that understands the, the death. I'm paraphrasing all this, but the part of him that understands how death works. You know that people won't be around, but it's the fact that you just can't call the people anymore. They're not there. Um, you know, and and I really have been feeling that lately. Um, maybe I'm more sentimental or something I don't know but it, it like yeah I can't call my parents you know my kids aren't around I can't call them and just see how their day's going you know um you know I, I can adopt I know that um but it is really it's just strange to think like oh the you know the this is this is that was a fleeting thing and there is a philosophy that says that well you know that's what makes life so amazing is that it's so fleeting um but 
you never know. Um, I I guess that's true. I you know it, it it is true that, but it's really hard in the moment to come to that conclusion. That always seems like something that people say afterwards. You know, oh man, life is so great. It's so amazing. Uh, well, you know, that's why we have to like life is because it's so fleeting. But that seems like something you say years later, uh, when everything is in the rear view. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, it's. Yeah, I I think that's what it is. One, again, with this podcast, I did want to finish this series. I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm rereading these issues, and I keep thinking about these scenes in the book. There's, um, you know, there's so many great scenes with, um, like, how people, like, the revived can heal themselves. So if they get injured, uh, the wounds heal up. Um, and and that'll come into play in the second volume, because uh, I've read that as well. Um, but that's what I want to do. I want to go through and tell you how I feel about this. And I have a real, I don't know, it's, it's, it's been nagging at me lately. And, and, and there's also a really good scene in the book when uh, that woman I told you earlier in the, in the novel, the older woman who thought she was in purgatory, she swings at Dana, the officer, and with a pair of pliers and misses and hits her daughter, um, her grown daughter who's probably in her 50s, in the neck with the pliers and kills her. Uh, because she can't die, uh, someone cuts her head off, basically, or half her head off. She is obviously revived again because she can't die and is kind of incoherent because her head gets cut in half. But then uh, as time goes on, uh, there's a funeral for her daughter. It's like a few days later. Uh, She stumbles into the funeral mumbling something, sees her daughter, gets incredibly coherent, and says, who did this to you? And then, you know, in a moment of great, they, it was drawn beautifully. She kind of realizes what she's done. And since this is a funeral home, goes back down into the um, crematorium and basically blows herself up. Uh, and they can't be... She can't be revived from that. So um, there is a limit to their reviving abilities. And it's truly drawn beautifully. And it also brings up this thing is they have like limited invulnerability but like how is that there's also these white spirits that are walking in the woods uh one of them enters m's body as m is walking through the woods and she sees this person's memories his name was joe uh he went to war he asked someone to marry him before he left because he wanted to have a reason to come back the woman agreed to marry him and then it shows him come back and uh she has moved on and married someone else because she thought he wasn't coming back so this spirit, this white, tall ghost is mumbling about a ring, uh, trying to find the wedding ring, and is, is just, like, you know, just stumbling through the woods. And um, when it finds out that, like, it, it's kind of alluded to that these spirits belong in a particular body, because obviously M saw these memories, when it finds out that this isn't this isn't the body that I... You know, this isn't the body that I was meant to be in. It leaves. She gets a little disoriented and kind of figures out kind of what's going on, I think. And um, it's a powerful issue. And uh, it's free on Comixology. So I would recommend uh, I would recommend um, reading it there. And so what's going to happen is these next couple episodes, uh, the quality might be a little different because what I'm going to do is I'm rereading these and I'm, and I, I recorded this right after I read, reread the first volume. 
So as I'm rereading these and taking notes and thinking about these, I will record these one after another. So these will be put up in like a bunch. So I think the first episode, this episode 92, uh, will be, um, it'll be probably a review of volume one, two, and three. The next one will be uh, four, five, and six. And then I'll leave seven and eight uh, for the last review. And so that's this first part. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again when I finish the next part. Again, I can't recommend it up. It's called Revival. You can get the first issue for free on Comixology. Um, and then if you're a member of Comixology, what I did is each issue is about, uh, each volume is about $12, which is a lot. But they were having some strange sale where each volume was $3. So I just waited for that sale. And then the ones that I couldn't just borrow from Comixology being an unlimited member, a Comics, Comixology unlimited member, I just went to the store and purchased basically every issue for what it would have taken me to, um, you know, buy out one issue. So definitely recommend reading uh, along if you can. If you have access to it, we can do this together. If not, we're fine. But um, I'll talk to you guys in a few days when I get the next volume done and we'll talk about, um, you know, what I thought about it and stuff. So hello, I'm back. Yeah, that's right. I finished volume two, took a couple days to reflect on it. And here we are. So this is another review of the Revival comic. This is volume two. This comic came out, uh, at least this uh, volume. Uh, there was, again, there was individual comics that they volumized. It's usually five or six issues. It looks like this one was five issues, if I counted correctly. Um, but yeah, this is volume two. It came out on July 17th, 2013. So this is my continuing review of Revival. Um, yeah, so volume two immediately takes place after volume one. Uh, it's discovered that um, M uh, was having a relationship with her college professor. She was in college, and that may have led to her death. It seems like her husband has, or the, the college professor, uh, Anthony uh, Weir, is a writer, like a struggling writer. He is married to someone else. Um, so he's having an affair with M. And Dana looks at her sister's phone records and discovers that they were calling each other quite a bit or she was calling him. So, you know, come to find out that she uh, they were having a relationship. So, yeah, um, that's terrible. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like where the comic uh, is. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, yeah, that's kind of like where the comic is um, left off this time. And uh, it's really good, guys. It continues. Sorry, I had a problem with my boom arm. But the idea that this is um, something that's going on in town, they also introduce this idea of a blockade in town because people are trying to get in and out. Shipments have slowed down. A truck stops because they're shipping, um, like, I believe it was... um, TVs, appliances, things like that. Um, but in the weather's really bad. It's the winter. Somebody kind of literally plows into the roadblock because they can't see. The appliances that we thought were in the truck were actually uh, body parts. And it, it starts this whole subplot of the fact that there's people out there that believe that by eating or using the organs of the revivers, it, it is a religious experience. People are paying top dollar Uh, They sell them to hospitals. In fact, they do this as a microcosm. They zoom into Dana's ex-husband, who is renting out uh, his garage uh, to three brothers 
Uh, I didn't actually write their names down, but just they are POSs and they have been harvesting a reviver for their organs. Although the revivers don't seem to take damage uh, from, uh, you know, wounds, they can, their organs can be removed. Like they don't grow organs back. They're not Wolverine. Um, so they kind of cut to these scenes back and forth between, you know, the town's getting a little heated. The mayor wants to know what's going on. Uh, since Dana's father is the sheriff, um, you know, he really cracks down. The CDC is there. They still don't know what's causing, what caused Revival Day. Um, they don't, can't rule out a religious thing, which upsets people. Um, but they are doing an autopsy and some people they brought in, some revivers that uh, in the first uh, volume, that old woman that I talked about, she literally, I think I brought it up, uh, in the first part, but she went into the ovens, turned the ovens on and blew herself up. She did kill herself. Uh, that the fire was enough to burn her body. Um, and I think I brought it up last, uh, last time, but there is an event happening in town where these, uh, weird white spirits are kind of like roaming through the woods. Um, I did mention it because one of them entered M and, kind of realizes that uh she's not um it's not her body so it's almost like they're spirits well one of them is roaming through the woods towards the end of volume two these three brothers that are pos's are harvesting a reviver to get his organs and they it's far off in the distance one of them thinks it's a white deer uh which is rare but come to find out it's actually a spirit that is trying to look for its body uh and well, I don't, I don't even know if they're spirits, but that's kind of what they're drawn as. They're these big, long, lanky, white creatures that kind of moan things um, based on their past. Like, this one's looking for a ring. Um, and what happens is they bury the body of the reviver that they have been harvesting because they pretty much harvest all of them. He's cut in half and still begging to be killed. He wants to be put out of his misery because he keeps waking up. Um, M... Uh, goes to check on her nephew because obviously that's her nephew. Uh, her brother-in-law uh, is taking care of the... Dana has a son. They're taking care of the son. They're all at the shed. She goes to find out what's going on and finds out these people are harvesting uh, a um, reviver. It's somewhat complex. But basically, she wants to get her nephew out of it, gets into a fight with the POS uh, brothers, uh, and they bury her with the reviver because they're like, oh, just take care of her, take her out. They don't know she's a reviver. They knock her out. She wakes up and actually kills two of them and is about to, is going to point the gun on the reviver, doesn't know if she's going to kill him or not because she's not really sure what it'll do when he asks to die. When lo and behold, that spirit that's been going through the woods enters his body. There is a beautiful frame where the man starts crying and then he turns to dust. So obviously there's a subplot of these people being separated from what would appear to be their spirits. And it's pretty powerful. It's an amazing two or three frames in the thing. And um, it's really good. It's building on this mystery of what's happening in town. There was also some hints dropped that um, one of the oldest guys in town who like clean living, he's over 100, exercises all the time, uh, is kind of a, kind of a womanizer. Uh, but he's a reviver and he tells someone that all of this was for nothing because he lived a good life. He worked out, he ate healthily, you know, and, uh, he was on a snowmobile and the snowmobile, uh, hit some ice and he died. 
uh, and he said it was all for nothing. You know, it doesn't matter how well you live. It could just be a split second of indecision or, you know, something happens that is totally out of your control and then you die. And I, for me, that's the biggest part of this. Um, I mean, there's also the supernatural element of what is causing this and all that that's interesting. But his speech about, um, you know, what uh, it means to try to live healthily and be a good, you know, be a good citizen and a good person really hit a chord with me because it's it's something that death is sometimes completely out of your control you know uh i've said it before but like my father and mother both didn't live the healthiest lifestyles you know my dad although he quit drinking uh and cleaned up that way he still smoked chain smoked and smoked or smoked drank coffee and uh you know that's not the best way to live um he didn't eat a lot I think even before he got sick, he was only like 160 pounds, something like that. Uh, and he's 5'9", so he's like a rail. Um, but he worked his whole life, and that's not good. You know, he kind of realized at the end he probably should stop smoking. I've kind of gone over this before. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that it's out of it, – it, 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 that was definitely in his control. But uh, my mom was trying to get healthy. She kind of got off the wagon a little bit. Um and, uh, but she went back to kind of not eating correctly and things like that. Um, and she told me she felt better when she worked out and, uh, but then she stopped and her health started to decline and you could definitely see where it was. Um, you know, it was kind of, uh, not good that she did this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's. Sometimes it isn't your control and sometimes it's not. I mean, with my wife and the miscarriages, uh, we both try to eat healthy and try to be healthy, but the doctor said there was a medical reason for why she was having uh, miscarriages and it's out of her control. And I try to tell her that all the time. You know, it's not, I don't fault her. I, I can't affect her mind or her perception, but I keep telling her. I don't blame her for the miscarriages or her son dying. I don't because... It's, um, it's totally out of her, it's out of our control. Um, and I think that's something that gets missed. Um, I, I kind of want to bring this in. It was, um, there's another podcast. I mentioned it before. Um, I, I mentioned it here before. It's by Nora McInerney. I hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, but the podcast is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. I know that. It's got a yellow background with her face. Um, and she went through some terrible grief in her life. Um, and I don't actually have the episode in front of me, but there was an episode that came up recently where she talked about palliative care with the doctor and palliative care isn't hospice. Like people think it is where it's end of life care. She says it's kind of related to hospice, but the idea is to try to make people comfortable and find out, uh, what they want before they pass away. And it really, it was a rough day. I was working, trying to listen to this incredibly serious Podcast, and I thought some of the things she brought up was amazing. She said, you know, so many times in medicine, you will go to somebody's bedside and they will tell you, uh, the other doctors there will tell you, you know, this, this guy right here, this woman, they're a fighter and they'll beat this, you know. And she said, you kind of start to realize that that doesn't matter. Um, that people die. And it doesn't matter if you are a fighter 
or not a fighter or lived healthily or didn't live healthily, some things are out of your control. If people are terminally ill with a disease like cancer or organ failure or whatever, they can fight as much as they want, but they, again, things are out of your control and they may, they will die. Everybody will die. So this doctor had this amazing epiphany where she said it's so difficult for people to hear that they want people to keep fighting. She said, which is a natural human thing. I want to keep fighting. I want this to keep going on. I want, you know, I want my loved one to carry on. I want to have as much time as possible with my loved one. But sometimes that doesn't matter. The, um, the reality is that things out of their control will affect their health and their ability to live a long life. And we have to accept uh, that death will happen. So um, it seems strange, but this issue of revival, you know, for two issues, this town member, again, I didn't write his name down, but he kept talking about how he lived healthily. He was even on the morning show talking about how people need to do this. He wrote another book. People really liked it. But when he gives that speech to the reporter at the end of volume two or like midway through volume two, he said, you know, it all didn't matter. In the end, I'm lucky to be here because of Revival Day, but I couldn't control that patch of ice on the road that killed me. So it didn't matter that I worked out hours a day, don't drink alcohol, don't put any poisons in my body, eat a square meal, watch my calories, it doesn't matter. And I think that was the biggest thing that I took away because I read this and I had just listened to that palliative care episode probably a few days before and it 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 really hit home, you know? Um, it's the tragedy of death that uh, it is unexplainable and sometimes incomprehensible and sometimes uh, unexpected. And, I mean, I'm glad that I'm going to therapy um, because somebody has to tell you sometimes this, this is what it is. And for you to really stop and realize, oh, my God. This is what it is, you know, and there's tons of philosophies out there about making life more fleeting and making, uh, you know, making life matter. And I'm not going to go on about that, but I will say this small section in the volume two of Revival really hit home. The idea that, yes, sometimes you are given a second chance, not just supernaturally with people being revived, but sometimes people, doctors say, oh, they're, you know, they're on the mend. They're doing better. Um, but then a few days later, they could pass away. And it's it sucks. Um, yeah, I don't really know where to end this section. That was kind of a downer. But I'll probably stop here and then um, pick right back up with Volume 3. Hey, I'm back. Yeah, I just finished uh, Issue 3. So, uh, again, this is my spoiler review for Revival the Comic. This is Volume 3 that debuted on February 19th, 2014, The Volume. I couldn't find when the individual issues came out, but since I'm just uh, reviewing the volumes, I figured that would be the important thing. This volume was called uh, A Faraway Place, and it starts specifically digging into, now that we know that there has been a business of people uh, selling body parts and the police have cracked down on them, they are now sorting through the body parts and trying to keep everything, uh, you know, trying to organize everything 
Uh, M goes there to have something to do. It is revealed that there is a religious... Uh, there's a woman uh, in town. She's a reviver. She's religious. She started a support group for revivers. Uh, you know, what? where is their place in all of this? What is going on? Um, and when M gets to this airport hangar to sort through these bodies, she meets uh, Jordan, this little girl. And this little girl is eight and is a reviver. Uh, she says that she doesn't really remember a lot, but she was involved in a car wreck and um, woke up and uh, her and her mom were going to go buy a, a dress, a red dress for the holidays because uh, she died around Christmas. And she remembers waking up and um, being in a black dress, having a sheet over her and basically waking up in the morgue. Um, it is very good. Uh, they've set some more seeds for things. As I said at the end of Volume 2, there is a scene where a spirit goes into a man's body and he cries and then turns to ash. Uh, it's revealed that one of the guy, Joe, his name's Joe, he talks to Anthony Werner, who's the guy who was, I mentioned in Volume 2, is having an affair with M. Aaron is married, but he wants to find out what's going on with the revivers, so he starts interviewing him. And Joe tells this long story that we kind of saw some of when that spirit jumped into M's body and said, uh, and uh, M saw those memories. Joe kind of says the same thing. You know, he kind of recaps everything. He says, um, I loved a woman. I had a ring for her, and uh, I came back, and she was remarried, and I've never loved anything since. Even though I've gotten remarried, I just have this longing. Uh, he said, I, uh, but now I don't feel anything. I can't find my ring, but he said the other day the strangest thing happened to me. I found the ring, and it cuts to uh, M actually found the ring early on and was trying to bait him into the water, the cold river, because uh, it looked like that would kill him. And he sees it from his perspective of her feeling bad after she baited him into the water, the spirit, not him. Uh, and then tries to pull the spirit out. But Joe, being a human being, can see through his spirit's eyes and see what happened. M looks a little different, and he says he's never been able to find the ring. And now he feels incomplete, and he doesn't think he'll ever find the ring. And so things just don't feel the same. Things don't matter. Life doesn't matter. Um, he's kind of just going through the motions. He um, runs in. He found out that his housekeeper had actually taken the ring and was going to pawn it. And uh, this made him angry, obviously, but he goes to her. She's in the hospital recovering uh, from a break-in. And he goes to um, see how she's doing. And she left a note and a ring on the table. But it is not the ring that he is looking for. Uh, I believe she's Vietnamese. And so she leaves him a letter said, in our culture, she makes her own ring and says, in our culture, it's like intertwoven with sylvan, uh, with sylvan, with silver, and uh, some other precious metals. And she says, in our culture, this means that, you know, not only is it a sign of wealth, but it's a sign of a soul. And what is the point of having a body without a soul? He puts the ring on and then burns exactly like the people that have uh, had the spirits enter their body. And it, um, unfortunately, uh, she is in the room and has to be brought to the hospital for smoke inhalation. Uh, and all that's left is his skeleton burnt like, uh, cream, like a crematorium. 
Um, it's also discovered that Jordan is going home with M, the little girl who was a reviver. Uh, M was watching her, uh, was taking her home. And M says, I can hear uh, the spirits call me, those white ghosts. I can hear the ghosts in the wood call me. Can you hear them? And M says, no, I can't hear them. And Jordan says, I think it's because I'm so young. And I actually want to answer the call. I don't want to ignore it like you adults. So actually one of the creatures jumps out on the road as they're coming home. Uh, they get uh, turned into a ditch because of that. Uh, so they go out and uh, M grabs Jordan and tries to take her away from this creature. And Jordan is screaming the whole time. Uh, I want to go back. It's okay. Uh, you're not listening to me. I understand what's going on. I want to go back. They uh, basically give chase near this lumber yard. Uh, Jordan hurts M, uh, gets away from her, and is trying to go back to the creature. Uh, M is trying to keep her away from the creature. Um, they get in an altercation. M finds the creature, dunks it into the water. Jordan gets so upset because she goes, why did you do that? You're just like everybody else. I want to go. It's okay. Um, then goes home to her parents, apologizes to her mother that she couldn't see God because when she woke up, her mom said, did you see God when you were asleep? And she said, no. And she said, but that's maybe because my eyes were closed. So when she's at home, she cuts her eyelids off because she wants to tell her mother that she can now be able to see God and that it's okay. She doesn't have to worry about her anymore. But the side plot to all this happening is uh, the CDC does tests of the water in the surrounding area and finds out that there's hard water. They said basically it happens with um, um, fracking and other things in town that lead to runoff. And basically hard water isn't radioactive, but it's bad, right? It's, um, it's used for contamination for like power plants. Uh, we've all heard of hard water. So the CDC recommends they start testing the animals to make sure they're not infected with something, radiation or something. And so the police and the CDC start rounding up people's livestock. And since they're in the middle of Wisconsin, that's a big deal. They take people's cows, they even take people's pets uh, because they don't want them to be, they don't want people to get sick. They don't want people to get hurt. Um, and they start euthanizing the animals because, uh, well, they do find out that there is hard water in their system and they're sick. And since they don't know how the revivers happen, they don't want anybody else to get contaminated. Um, and it looks like that they uh, are disposing of the animals at a pulp mill. Um, and the police sheriff is uh, kind of overseeing everything with someone from the CDC. And they are attacked uh, by a bulldozer. And a bomb is set off near them that just has cow's blood in it. So they get hit with cow's blood, but it turns out they're all right. Uh, so there's this whole thing of somebody wanting the citizens to get their town back and they want to kick the CDC out. So that starts up in this issue. And then there is a great scene towards the end with the guy that we've been following, this uh, Adrian Weiner or Andrew Weiner. He goes to, uh, he burns everything in his office, writes a poem to his wife and says, I'm sorry, uh, and then goes and confronts someone um, who... You could tell as a reviver, but as a burn victim and likes cold baths. So that's interesting. Maybe the pain keeps coming back from the burns. But that man kills him. And uh, the man asks, you know, do you have any children, Andrew? And he says, no. And he says, well, then I'm sorry. And he kills him. And Andrew, basically, uh, his wife is reading a letter that he left for. Her. And um, 
the idea is he says, I'm sorry, you know, I wanted to leave a mark in this world, but I couldn't. And um, it was my inability to leave this mark. And I'm sorry, it's not your fault. I'm a bad person. I cheated and lied and I'm an adulterer and I'm, uh, it's not your fault. You deserve the best. Um, so, uh, it's a really moving episode or volume. I will say the thing at the end, uh, I really liked, um, wanting to be creative myself, this idea of leaving a legacy and the fact that, uh, you know, it always doesn't work out the way you want it to. Uh, and, and he says that in his letters to the wife. He says, it wasn't your fault that I couldn't have a legacy. Uh, I shouldn't be able to blame you for that. Um, you know, it's my fault. It's not your fault. And uh, that was really, really moving. The fact that you have this kind of, I think he knew when he was going to go meet this uh, burned man that it was going to be the end. Probably more will come out about that later, who the burned man was, uh, what happened. Um, but yeah. The idea of a legacy and leaving things behind. I do think there's kind of a trite thing in the middle where Dana Cyphers is trying to investigate everything and put some pieces together. And she says, you know, the reason that I wanted to be a cop was because I wanted to put order in a disorganized world, which is a good, uh, I guess, um, motivation to become a police officer. But to me, it seems that, um, you know, uh, I've heard that before, heard that a lot, you know, you want to organize things or, I don't know, it, maybe it's not trite, maybe it's just I've read it a lot, it's more of a cliche now, that doesn't make her character any less interesting, uh, I think it's one of those things I've realized lately with text and reading is, you know, not everything has to be explained, unless, uh, you know, as long as certain motivations have been spelled out for the audience and you understand, okay, this person is doing this because of this, and that's fine. I mean, maybe we didn't need to know why she became a cop. You know, maybe we could just think that, oh, maybe she's trying to please her dad or trying to protect her sister or what have you. Um, but I do like this other thing they bring up in the issue, the idea of running away. You know, um, you know, even though Jordan's eight, she's kind of accepted what's happening. Uh, in fact, in the issue, her uh, in the volume, her parents give her to the CDC along with other revivers because they don't know if she's sick. The mom says, you know, our daughter died in that car wreck. Whoever this is, it's not her. Um, and the dad, of course, doesn't want to give her up, but they begrudgingly give her up to the CDC. She screams and gets put in a cell, basically. Uh, and that is sad. Uh, it also makes you reflect what would happen if the people you cared about very very, very much um, what would happen if they started showing up again. You know, that would be really weird. Uh, what would you do? You know, how much time would you have with them? Uh, would it even matter? Would you just be excited that they were back? Um, I think it's great. It's it's really building towards this idea. Uh, you know, M's running away from everything. She doesn't, uh, you know, she, I think, loves a professor, the Andrew guy. Um, but the idea that, you know, you were given another chance and you want to make it better, uh, that's also very compelling and moving. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to see where it goes from here. Uh, yeah, again, the biggest takeaway from this is the, you know, we talked about it last, uh, last review, the, the idea that even if you are a fighter, uh, that doesn't matter. Um, and I think M is grappling with that, the fact that, uh, at some indeterminate time, your time will be up 
and you can't control it. And she's young. It makes sense. She's 20 or something, 19, 20. So it makes sense that she would run from that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I would, you know, want to. That's a rough, it's a rough question. You know, would you run away? I think I like this kind of like uh, volumized uh, versions of this because it does, I try to give myself time to reflect on this stuff. So I do like that. I will be continuing with this. Um, yeah, I'm going to call the next episode something else because I don't want it to be like three side questing titles so people get confused. Um, but yeah, so uh, this will finish up the uh, first three volumes of my review of Revival. Um, I've been rereading these again and thinking a lot about them. And it is a great reflection on death and what grief means and how do you move on when people come back and how do you move on when you come back, I think is more interesting. So uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, again, just to remind you guys, this podcast will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there, let me know what you think of the episode, leave a comment, let me know how I can improve. Or you can find me at iTunes uh, at the Gaming with Group Podcast with Joseph Carlson. I have a back, a black smoky background with my name. Uh, go there, leave me stars, likes, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Or you can reach me at gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. Uh, go there, leave me an email, let me know what you think. Or you can find me on Twitter at Just Little Joe. Uh, find me there, let me know what you think of the episode. Uh, it's been really great going back and really thinking about these issues, guys, but, uh, I think that's it for now. I hope you guys have a good week and I will talk to you again with more reviews next week.